welcome to episode 34 of the Print Design Podcast. I am your host, Dave Hopkins, and this episode needed the cinematic introduction because it is incredible and it is going to blow your mind. Who is my guest for this episode? None other than Jackson Robinson, illustrator and creator behind the King's Wild Project, makers of the world's, no, the universe, the universe's most incredible, luxurious playing cards. During this episode, we talk about a shock moment that happened in his life that led him to the path of change in the direction of creating King's Wild. We talk about a $16,000 mistake that was made. We talk about the creation of King's Wild and how it all came to be. And it started with our good friend Kickstarter. Talk about some of the mistakes he's learned along the way. And then a deep dive into the most popular playing card deck that they have ever created called the Legal Tender version 2. We talk about the incredible print techniques that were used to create this playing card experience. He also shares with us how his first ever real print project ended up being for Coke. Unbelievable. So ladies and gentlemen, let's get right to this. Another incredible episode of the Print Design Podcast with my guest, Mr. Jackson Robinson. So let's get to it. Hit the intro. Welcome to the Print Design Podcast. The show where we talk about all things print and packaging. We go behind the scenes with designers and talk about the print projects they designed that really rock their world. From file prep to holding the finished product in their hand and all the key decisions in between. So, let's talk ink on paper. Jackson, welcome to the Print Design Podcast. How are you, man? What's up, man? How you doing? Doing fantastic. It's great to connect and talk print. I'm excited to get into this. I am excited as well. I like to talk about print things. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And, you know, we're going to get into the story on, on how this all came to be for you. But first, why don't we start by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself? Well, my name is Jackson. Uh, I am a father, husband. I have a wife named uh, Becca. And I have three daughters, Claire, Scarlett, and Olive. I live in uh, Cleveland, Tennessee. I'm originally from Texas. Uh, I grew up in West Texas. Uh, I am a illustrator slash designer by profession. Cool. And I've been a illustrator designer, whatever you want to call that, for probably I don't know, 15 years now. Uh, and uh, now I my main thing for the past. Uh, seven, eight years since 2013 has been King's Wild Project, which is a luxury playing card company. And we make uh, the universe's nicest playing cards. 
<laughs> and based on the pictures I've seen, I would agree with that. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. No worries. So three kids. How old are your kids? Uh, Claire is 11. Uh, Scarlett is eight. And Olive is about to be three. Right on. Yeah, I got three kids myself. And I got 13, 11, and then my son is 10. Two okay. girls and a boy. Okay. Yeah. Well, I don't know what boys busy. are like, so... I just hear they're stinky and it's whatever. madness, madness. <laughs> Everything you've heard, Jackson, is true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome here. So the King's Wild Project, how did that come to be? Where did that start? How did that become your thing? Uh, well, it's it's interesting. It's a, it is a funny, well, it's not really funny. Well, there's parts of it that's funny, I guess. But it is, you know, I talk to my wife about this a lot, just about how how life and coincidences coincidences and opportunities kind of align throughout life. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, a theme, you know, a theme of my life has been, uh, at least in my past has been, you know, great kind of great progress in my life has been made through kind of like tragedy. And when, when I, this was uh, 2000 and probably circa 2009. And, uh, I'm, I've been married for a few years. We, we are, we are in the uh, hospital giving uh, my wife is giving birth to our first daughter, Claire. Uh, this was 2009. And, uh, and I had been a, a professional illustrator for like an, a like a boutique illustration studio mm -hmm. uh, for a few years. Uh, I've been out of college for a few years. So I, it was kind of like my first like serious gig after college and, and it was going good. We were doing, we were doing some crazy work, doing some awesome written work for awesome clients and stuff. And then we, uh, during, in the waiting room of the uh, hospital that we were having our daughter at, my parents were there and, uh, and I'm sitting in the lobby with my parents and I get a phone call from one of my bosses, one of the, the owners of the company that I worked for. And he informed me kind of, you know, you know, bluntly that the, the, basically the company folded and that I had no longer had a job. And then and before I could even, before I could even like process all of that stuff, uh, then my parents are sitting there in front of me, uh, and then my parents and my, my my mom and dad sit there and say, "Jackson, we have some we have some bad news. Uh, your mom has stage three bre breast cancer." And <laughs> and so I'm like, "So we have what? we have the birth of our first daughter. I lose my job, and uh, my my parents tell me that my mom has stage stage three breast cancer." And I'm like, well, great. This is going to be a great day. Uh, oh my gosh! And 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 I, I I say all that stuff because like the the great progress in my life has been made always through these kind of you know moments of tragedy, mm. and like like something something switched in my head that day, and I was just kind of like, man, you know, life is so short, and life, and there are so many things that I want to do, and there's so many things I want to try, and uh. And literally, just like I was like, I'm tired of this crap. Let's get going. Let's do something. Even if I fail at it, let's let's try it. Get it. Fast forward. One of the things that was on like my bucket list of things that I wanted to do before I was dead, I wanted to work. I was a big gamer, like a big video gamer when I was younger in college and in high school. Yeah. Uh, and uh, now, granted, I haven't played a video game in like ten years, but uh, <laughs> come on, Jack. Come, yeah, I haven't. Come on. <laughs> I haven't. I haven't. Uh, I mean, with my you. kids, maybe, but. Yeah. I mean, I don't even have a TV. Uh, the 
one of the things I wanted to do on my bucket list was like work in the video game industry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I lived in Dallas, Texas, and there really weren't, there really wasn't that many video game industry jobs at the time. And so we were like, let's do it. Let's do it. I'm tired of, I'm tired of waiting around, you know, life's too short. And so one thing led to another and I picked my family up and I got a job as a conceptual artist at a video game studio in Los Angeles. And I moved to Los Angeles and I worked at a video game studio for two or three years. I was a conceptual artist. Then I was a character artist. Then I ended up becoming an art director. Uh, and while we were out there, like, uh, you know, we were kind of living, you know, I was a Texan living in California and had never been to, I mean, I'd been to Los Angeles a few times. So it was a great culture shock for me. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, one, you know, I had a family and I, and we had, a, we had another daughter while we were there. And so, but we knew that we, we, we realized pretty quickly that Los Angeles wasn't where we wanted to raise our family. Mm-hmm. And during that time that we were there, I was making good money, but uh, it was expensive. And, you know, we acquired all kinds of debt, all kinds of other stuff. And we were kind of just running this circle and Get on the treadmill. It, yeah. The treadmill. And, and so I was like, all right, well, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta, you know, check done the video game industry thing. And, uh, we were like, we gotta, we gotta start earning some extra money to pay off some debt so that we can move back to Texas and, you know, you know, turn the page of this chapter in our book or whatever. Uh-huh. And so, that led me, and this was this was 2012, and so Kickstarter, uh, the crowdfunding uh, platform, was still pretty new uh-huh. at that time. But it was it was seasoned enough that people kind of knew, you know, people were, people were familiar with it. Yep. And at the time, uh, there were all kinds of projects and stuff like that. And I I was like, you know what? I'm gonna design a T-shirt. I've designed T-shirts before. That seems pretty easy. Let's do that. And, uh, and in fact, it's funny, ironically, I wasn't doing this, for, but I actually, the, my very first Kickstarter was this t-shirt, this, sure. uh, this King's head with the gas mask and the sword going through it. And, uh, the design came, you know, I'm trying to make all this pretty short, but the design came from, uh, I taught a character development class mm-hmm. at a, a school of visual effects in Los Angeles or Hollywood called the Noman school of visual effects. And during that, that 3d character class, uh, you know, my teaching style was I basically would create a character from, from, from nothing to concept to 3d to textures and everything, the whole gambit of everything that came with creating a video game ter- character during the class as my students were doing, uh, doing the same thing. And during that class, I created this, uh, this kind of like, 12 year old orphan kid named Tugsy and he was this redheaded orphan and he was in a zombie apocalypse. It was like a zombie apocalypse kind of, uh, you know, scenario. And he wore red Chuck T's rode around on a skateboard with a sawed off shotgun, killing zombies. And I had, and I had to design a design for the skateboard deck. And this was before I had thought about playing cards. This was before I'd even, even, even remotely had the idea of playing cards and on that skateboard for that character class, I drew a king, a king with a gas mask on the skateboard. And when I came to the when I came to the idea of you know having a you know doing a Kickstarter to earn some extra money, uh, my wife was like, you know what, you should, you should do that. You should do that king that king head that you did with the gas mask. And for some reason, I called it the King's Wild, the King's Wild design. And she was like, and I was like, yeah, that'd be pretty. That'd be pretty easy. I had the work done. It was pretty easy. I mean, I did it yeah. like at night. And so we, you know, I made a, 
you know, I made a stupid video for the kicks, the Kickstarter project. And I, the funding goal was like $400 or whatever. And I was just like, whatever, I'm gonna try this out. And, you know, it was like a 10, 15 day project. And I earned like $4,000 and I was like, wow, that was <laughs> something here. You know, I was like, I was like, that was pretty easy. And I was talking to my wife about it. And she was like, you should do another t-shirt design. And so, <laughs> So I did a second, I did a second t-shirt design and, you know, raised like $4,000. And, and then it started getting me thinking, I was like, okay, there may be something more to this whole crowdfunding thing. And at the time I had seen a, a deck of cards called the, the Pedal miscellaneous goods company designed a, a deck of cards. And they, at the time that they, they had raised like on their Kickstarter project, they had raised like a hundred and I think it was like $140,000 wow. for their deck for their deck of playing cards. And I was looking at the designs. I was like, these are really good, but my, my competitive nature came out and I was like, I could, I could design these deck of, come on, put me in come on, let's go. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's do this. And uh, so, uh, and so I, I got the idea to mm -hmm. design a deck of playing cards, but I didn't really have an, I didn't really have a theme or a, a, a you know, what to, what I was going to do. And my brother Taylor, he's four years older than me and he owns a production company. And we always, we always talk about just ideas that, and we throw ideas back and forth. And one day, and I have to give my brother credit because it was his idea originally. He go, we were talking on, on Google Hangouts and he goes, you know what you should do, Jackson? You should, you should design a deck of cards that looks like money. And I was like, yes, yes, I should design a deck of cards. <laughs> and I was like, that's a great idea. And so, and, and, and the whole time I'm talking with my brother, uh, you know, we, I was like, I want to do this playing card project. I think it could be bigger than just, you know, two or $3,000. I think it has, I think it has potential to be something big because yeah. there really wasn't, I mean, there's tons of, tons of custom playing cards now on Kickstarter, mm -hmm. but it was still, it was very much still the wild west when it came to the niche market of custom playing cards on Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I started putting together my ideas and, and, and started doing the artwork, you know, at the time at the studio that I was working at, we were working crunch hours, which is seven to seven, seven days a week. And it was ridiculous. And, uh, you know, I was being a horrible father and horrible husband and yeah. working late hours of the night, um, making this deck of playing cards, but I felt like that there was something to it. Um, uh, and we, and my brother, I flew out to Birmingham and my brother did all the kind of the promotional videos for me for the Kickstarter video. And he really knocked that stuff out of the park. And we launched the, we launched the project and our funding goal was, I think eight eighty eight hundred $8,800. I think it was, and this was 2013. So uh, that, that 8,800 bucks, was that like just printing costs? Was, is that basically the, the $8,800 was basically the me paying the production costs, like not including shipping, not including postage. Yeah. Oh yeah. I won't think about the IRS and taxes, <laughs> blah, whatever. <laughs> It was basically just to be able to pay for the minimum order quantity, you know, the MOQ at the United States playing card company for a thousand decks. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't, you know, I didn't know anything about playing cards. I didn't, I mean, I had experience with print and packaging and stuff like that, but it was always from the standpoint of I was a finishing guy that just, you know, painted pictures on already created, you know, already created, you know, substrates and designs and templates and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So the, the funding goal was $8,800 and we did a 30 day campaign. At the end of the campaign, we had raised $188,000. Wow. 
Whoa. And I was like, <laughs> what? And I was talking to my wife and my wife was like, uh, you, uh, you should do another deck of playing cards. <laughs> and so I was like, you're right. You're a smart yeah. woman. I should do another deck of playing cards. And during the first, during the first Kickstarter, you know, I had, you know, I had, I had, I released two decks during the first mm -hmm. Kickstarter, the federal 52, which was the, the first deck that started it all. Okay. And then the second deck, which is called the gold certificate. And they were all based on currency throughout uh, American history. But I had already, I had already conceptualized uh, more decks, like five decks, like a, a reserve note, a silver certificate deck and other things. So mm -hmm. the people that backed my project, they knew that there were other designs and they were like, we want more of this. We want more of this. Continue the project or continue the series. And about four months later, I continued the artwork. Uh, well, I, I continued the artwork and, 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 and continued the series and then launched my second Kickstarter project, which was the kind of Federal 52 Part 2. Mm -hmm. And the funding goal was like $16,000 because I, I had kind of learned a little bit more about playing card production. I had kind of scaled up the number of decks that I was going to do. Mm -hmm. And the funding goal was about $16,000. And by the end of it, we had raised – um, you know, all in about $205,000 on that second, uh, that, that second Kickstarter project. And a side note to all this, the, the game studio that I worked with and, and this may not, this is not definitely not the case. Uh, this is definitely not the case with everybody at the studios that they may work with or whatever, but the GM at the game studio that I worked at, he, you know, he was, he was super supportive of just kind of the creativity and, me kind of wanting to do my own thing and doing and creating this stuff out of nothing. And, you know, he was, and he was actually like the first, he was like my first backer on both of my projects because, uh, it, you know, it was just, it was just a good experience. And I always like to mm -hmm. say that because I know that that's not always the scenario with a lot of people, but yep. that was a huge thing for me in terms of like, um, uh, just being the, the encouragement that he gave me. Mm -hmm. And, and literally, we 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 the second project got funded like in forty minutes, and and literally I was I had launched it while I was at work, like on my lunch break, and and my GM was there with me when I launched it, and he looked at me, he looked at me like you know, an hour into the project, and he goes, so when are you going to put in your two weeks notice, and uh, <laughs> and I was like, well, I guess I'm I guess I'm putting my two week notice in now. Uh, yeah, he was like he was like that's awesome, man. Do it. And, and I was just, I was just, I was just, I, oh, sorry. Okay. I probably should turn that off. I can mute my computer. I apologize for that. No worries. Um, the, so all of those, all those files in my brain were coming back, uh, about just like when I was in the waiting room at the hospital with my mom and my, yeah. and my job be, and I was yeah. just like, life's too short. Got to do this. You know, and my wife, I always, I always kind of joke with my wife. I have this saying where I always say, well, they can't eat you. And so, you know, That's I could right. suck it up and, and, and it not go, it not go right. But the, uh, it could not go right, but they can't eat me, you know, and I can always start from the bottom again and it doesn't really yeah. matter. And so I quit my job and that was 2013. And I literally was like, you know what? I'm going to do this Kickstarter thing and design playing cards until it breaks and, and see what happens. Yeah. And over the course of uh, five years, 
I did like 33 successful Kickstarter projects that were all playing card projects. Um, you know, I employed, you know, I employ multiple people now and have a, you know, have a whole shop and a warehouse and like it hadn't broke yet. And so I'm still doing it. And I, I, and it's funny now that I look back at all those, all the things that led up to those things. Mm -hmm. And like, I couldn't see myself doing anything else right now than designing stacks of paper that go into paper boxes that they call playing cards. And, uh, you know, and it's, it's a, it's an incredible, it's an incredible experience for me because I basically could do whatever I want and to create these themes and, uh, you know, these stories. I get to tell because at heart, I'm an illustrator. Yeah. And I get to tell these stories with these, these decks of playing cards that, that I love. And I, and I, and, and I can communicate with my, my community and my followers and all that kind of stuff. And it's, an, it's, it's, it's been incredible. And so that was, that's the, that's the, long answer to your short question. So that is an amazing answer to that short question. What a journey. Oh man. I just, I enjoyed being on this roller coaster ride with you. That was oh, just incredible. Um, going from that moment of like the, of in the waiting room where it's like lost a job, punch in the face, mom's got yeah. cancer, punch in the face yeah. and then birth of first daughter. But like what a complete, yeah. A contradiction where it's almost like you you'd end up stunned trying to figure out like what just happened yeah what happened let's what what, what <laughs> where are we what's happening yeah. there yeah okay that's awesome hearing the story leading up to it um first question about the first a question about the kickstarter campaigns themselves that you've been running and uh -huh. then i want to dive into a little bit about your history with print like your introduction mm -hmm. to print so um what is the most successful Kickstarter campaign that you've launched so far? Which one was it? The most successful, pro uh, the most successful project I've done was that second in terms of, I guess, revenue was that mm -hmm. second uh, federal 52 project where uh, I think the Kickstarter raised 188,000 and then like post campaign, like during like a, like a kind of a pre-order period afterwards, we raised another, you know, a total like $205,000 for that project. Bananas. That's incredible. Okay, Jackson, I'm going to kick this back in time a little bit here. What, uh, I'm curious what your earliest memory of print or packaging is, you know, from something when you were a kid or a teenager. Oh, yeah, That's a good question. Um, my, my earliest memory of print and packaging. Oh man. Uh, I remember, uh, this was probably, I'm trying to think of the year. This is probably 1986. Okay. Like I probably remember things before this, but it, this is like one of the main things that yep. like was burned into my brain. Yes. But I remember this hideously, this hideous, hideously ugly Lego box design uh, of, if, of this, cause I'm a, I'm a Lego nerd. I love Legos. Absolutely. As you should if be. Could, if I could like pick my camera up and like turn it around. You'd be like, whoa, bro, you need to relax on the Lego. You got a Lego wall there? Oh, man. Oh, yeah. I got a, I got a Lego <laughs> wall. Start questioning things. <laughs> yeah. But, and the funny thing is, is there was this pirate ship called the Caribbean Clipper. And it was this, it was released, I think it was like 80, I think it was 86. I want to say it was 86. Uh, but it was this Caribbean Clipper. And there was this, and at the time, basically Lego, the way that they designed their packaging was like, you know, bright, I mean, P Pantone 130 yellow yeah. sidewalls 
and then like a gradient. They were trying to like emulate a sunset, probably, I guess. But it, instead of that, it was like a a blue to orange gradient, and then they would just like put the put the Lego on top of it. And uh, and but I remember that man. I I'm though that pirate ship. My parents got that for me for for a gift one year. Mm-hmm. And I remember I would put that box there and I would I would make that pirate ship and I would tear it down. I would make it again, tear it down, make it again. And then, but I remember that box. I remember that yellow and I remember that gradient background. Uh, and the the interesting thing is uh, about a year or two ago, my parents were bringing a bunch of my junk from their house yeah. and they brought this bucket of Legos. And it was like my Lego, my Lego collection from when I was a kid. And out of that, out of, that's it. See, look at that, that yellow. <laughs> that's that sunset in the background. The Caribbean Clipper. Boom. That's it, man. That's the one. That's Beauty. the one. Man. The Caribbean Clipper. And I, they, I get this bucket and I pull out that brown hole of the ship. Yeah. Out of the thing, and I was like, and like, it's like it was like everything came back. All the the yellow. The Legoland in Arial font and whatever ages eight to twelve, and I went through this process of like, like finding every piece. I got the instruction manual out. I, I actually I didn't get the instruction manual because I didn't have the instruction manual. I didn't have the box. So heck, I bought the instruction manual off eBay. I found me a box on eBay, and I started piecing this pirate ship out. Uh, and I have that, I have the original pirate ship that I had when I was an 80, like 88, 86 up on this. That's my first one right there. That's but that so box. Cool. And I remember seeing those boxes with that, that yellow border, with that little yellow, that yellow bit, ba- that yellow kind of 45 degree angle banner. Yeah. And that was just like, yeah, it's super ugly, but like <laughs> that's in my brain, man. Let's, let's like turn the heat up and, and iron it in my cerebral cortex. That's what it yeah, was. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I've been talking a lot about lately is that like Instagram ads don't have the power to do that. You know, yeah. print does. You know, mine, one of my earliest memories that's the strongest is Pogs. I don't know if you remember Pogs. Oh, come on. Those little slammers and everything, man. Come yeah. On. Yeah, right. I remember Pogs. That was like grade four for me. That hit. And yeah. to the point where it was so popular and so many fights started over like slammer oh, yeah. matches going sideways. Oh yeah. Banned from elementary school. Mm. <laughs> box. Like, like I remember how that box smells. Is, is <laughs> that's, that, awesome. that, that's how I remember. That's how much I remember that box. That's so and cool. I could, I could even remember like, I could remember like going to like malls when people actually went to malls still. And and I remember going to the toy stores and I was like, cause that was the little pirate ship, you know, that was the Caribbean clipper. Yeah. There was like another one that was called the, uh, I think, uh, I think it was called it the Barracuda Bay. And it was the bigger one yeah. that was way out of my parents' price range. But I remember that box and I was like, Oh man, that's got three sales and the yellow's even bigger and <laughs> even more yellow. This even is more crazy. yellow. <laughs> but now I got that. Now I got Right next to the Caribbean Clipper is my Barracuda Bay pirate ship. You picked it up. That's awesome. Oh, yeah, and, I, and I keep all of the boxes. I keep all the boxes, all the old ones, you know, in my, you know, right behind the, right behind the, uh, the Legos. Yeah. Cause Perfect. that, I mean, that was so, that was so important to me was, yeah, that's part boxes. of the experience, part of the unboxing, part of the whole experience of that particular gift, that particular toy or product. Yeah. 
Love that. So I want to fast forward a little bit to recently now. So you're producing these brilliant card decks. You're around awesome print all the time. Mm-hmm. Has there been anything else that you've come across in print that you were you know, surprised by or that you really enjoyed? Mm. Uh, man, that's a good question. Um, one of the things I've been lately, I've been on this kick where um, because of so much of my, because my, I guess you could say as an artist, my own artistic style, I mean, even though I'm an illustrator, I feel like that part of being an illustrator is being like an, uh, a stylistic chameleon, a chameleon and being able to like reproduce any type of style of art or design or whatever, uh, depending on what the client needs. <clears throat> uh, one of my, but I, as an artist myself, I feel like my own kind of artistic style is like kind of like late 19th century banknote engraving and kind of like acanthus leaf scroll work, that kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, and something that I've been like, just like pouring into is like antique, like late 1890s, 1880s, Victorian style books, like antique books. Cool. And like the, like, the like the intricate the intricate foil work and the design work coupled with like the embossing and and then like you've turned it over and like the marble like the hand marbled pages and stuff like that i've been really i've been really pouring into that kind of stuff and i've been like trying to find as many as i can and just uh you know, and 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 it's like it's that same part of the brain that that i remember that yellow and i can smell that stupid lego box but like there's a part of those old antique books that, that that just have this this kind of sensibility to them that a I've been trying to like find more of because it seems like every time I find a new one I find like six more that are ridiculously awesome and that just inspire me to like want to want to learn more about that and on top of that a lot of my new stuff right now because I'm so interested in it my whole I have a playing card subscription where I design a new deck of cards every month and like mm-hmm. This whole year is basically uh, themed like classic literature. Uh, and every one of the decks that I'm doing, most of all the classic literature decks that I'm doing this year, like the uber nice version of that deck comes in a, uh, a like this little tiny book box that looks like a book that I designed that's the size of a playing card uh, that at the end of the year, you know, all of my followers and everybody that subscribes to it will have this little bookshelf of these decks of cards that look like old, these old Victorian style books. And they all have like, they all have like custom marbling paper on the inside and they have different kind of leathers. And I mean, it's not real leather. I mean, I just paint yeah. the leather, but that, you know, these antique Victorian books have been really just like, you know, I mean, they, they basically have inspired my whole entire kind of like body of work for this year. Um, and, and, and my fo- my customers and my followers are, you know, they love it. That's so cool. I love, as soon as you said that and started talking about sort of that older Victorian books, um, I remembered this moment uh, from a couple of years ago. My whole family, we were vacationing in Ireland. So we spent mm. some time in Dublin. And I totally forget the name of the huge university there in Dublin. It's very popular. There's a very, very old library there that students of the university can still access and still go to. But yep. we walked into this place and some of these old, old books, hundreds and hundreds of years yep. old, are beautiful. Some of them are out on display. 
Uh, some of them are just sitting in the shelf and some of them are the size of my desk. Oh yeah. They're huge, huge. And I just thought, you know, some craft person oh, yeah. hundreds of years ago, put that together by hand. Mm-hmm. It's touched that wrapped that hardcover, you know, that foil, the way that was done hundreds of years ago, like, Oh, oh man. Yeah. Was it, was it the museum that had the book of the Kells? Because I know that. The, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we saw I mean, that as well. Heck, I did a whole entire deck based on like the Ethereum legend that was nothing that was inspired nothing but that book of Kells. Like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, that place is crazy. It was just amazing. The library there, and yeah, we lined up to see the book of Kells. And um, when we walked in, the, the they have this guy there who's you know constantly monitoring that nobody's oh, yeah. like, attempting to touch or lift the glass or anything for this thing. <laughs> yep. And then you start reading the history of this book and what has gone into it and how they very carefully like turn a page every so often so that if you come in and look at it, you could potentially get to see a new page every couple of weeks or something. That's crazy. It's just phenomenal. But you think of the craftsmanship that went into making that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Books are fascinating and just have that lasting power. Right. Oh yeah. So Jackson, what do you think makes print so sought after and special to designers? We're all like a little bit kind of like hoarders in a way where we get our, you know, it starts with the iPhone box. That's the gateway. And then all of a sudden you start seeing all these cool envelopes and these cool direct mails and different things that arrive. And you start building this collection of these Mm -hmm. tangible experiences. Like, why is that so special? Um, you know, whether it's, whether it's kind of like the time that we live in or whatever, I, th- at least for me, and I hope that my own, you know, kind of my own outlook on life can, you know, could be a good, you know, commentary on, you know, you know, the modern world, I guess you could say, but like, for me, it's like, and I, and you probably hear this a lot, but like, there's so much, there's so much of our lives that is digital now mm-hmm. that is just, you know, for for lack of a better word, force fed to us, uh, yep. and, and from you know artistic aesthetics, what we should what we should think we should like artistically, mm-hmm. the way that we think you know packaging digital or whatever it is should be. Uh, there's so much of it that's force fed to us uh, just from a computer screen and whatever. And there's something about there's something about the tactile nature of uh, you know feeling print feeling you know like if it's letterpress feeling the bite of the you know the bite of the print in the paper feeling the embossing feeling the texture of the foil uh and then also just like and for me at least as you know as a side note as like a business owner like at at the heart of what i do i tell stories Uh, and those stories are told through these little stacks of paper that are in a box Mm -hmm. and so basically my world revolves around telling a story in a stack of paper that's two and a half inches by three and a half inches and the box that goes around it. Mm-hmm. And, and what I have found that has, that, that I feel like that is the, the, the biggest, the biggest uh, catalyst in bringing me the success that I have been blessed with is the fact that I'm kind of transparent about the process of the creation of all of those aspects that go into that little card box. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not like this artist. It's like, you know, I, I go into my cave every six months and <laughs> come out and then come out with my magnum opus, like yeah. whatever, you know, I just want to make interesting things that I like and that I think that find that, that bring me inspiration yeah. and just cross my fingers that other people want to buy it. Yeah. And, and just being transparent about that. And then, 
I have so many of my followers that like follow me on a daily basis because, uh, you know, a lot of my work is done, you know, like I do a live stream and that's basically, I don't work unless I'm doing a live stream and I always just am transparent about all my work. And so my followers and, and my followers in my community, they follow that whole process. And so when they get this, when they get this, this piece of cardboard paper in their hands and in the mail, mm-hmm. it's not just like, Oh, you know, I went to Walmart to buy this thing and you know, this deck of cards, or I went to this, that, the other, like, They've been a part of this process for like six months, mm-hmm. seeing like the development of it. They were there. They were watching when I drew this curve on this box, and they were there when I laid out the embossing layer of this box. And so they get this thing, and then they put it on their shelves, and it's not on a computer. It's not. They don't have to look at it through blue light glasses, and they put it on their shelves and they were a part of that creation of that thing that's printed and in a box right there on the shelves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that, and I think it's the same thing with like the those antique books. Like at the time, you know, at the time there wasn't, you know, at the time that those kind of books were created, like print and books, like that was the that was really the only form of entertainment. I mean, there were other some forms of entertainment, but that was that was people's movies. That was mm-hmm. people's Instagram, that was people's internet. And so that was, that was the way that artists and illustrators had to like express themselves and like, and to create these things that people could hold in their hands and be like, this is, you know, this is what, you know, that inspires me. I don't, would that, that even answer your question? Absolutely. You're touching on a journey there, Jackson. <laughs> I was like, wait, 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 what was the question? What was the question? <laughs> no, a hundred percent. And really what the core, what we're talking about is in this world of this digital world where these, you know, experiences are more and more augmented in virtual reality and all these different things, that tangible feeling of the embossed, the tangible feeling yep. of that thick cardstock and moving cards in your hand and holding a deck of cards, like that becomes even more important, even more sought after, even more valuable because everything is so digital that these little analog experiences become really important, special moments. Yeah. I mean, I got, I mean, I love, I love my followers in my community. I mean, I got a, I got a, I got a group of followers that do, they, I don't even know what they call it. They, they do the smell test of my playing cards. So every time you get your deck of cards, they go like they're sniffing cocaine or something and they smell it. And, it, <laughs> and it's just, but it's, but it's like, but it's part of the experience. And it's like, those, those are the memories that those are my yellow, ugly Lego box to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And, and those are my crappy gradient sunset sky with yep. the, the little 45 degree angle Legoland logo. Yes. And that's, that's that for a lot of people, especially, especially younger people that are just, you know, getting into design and illustration and print, you know, I mean, I, I hope I that maybe sound conceited, but I hope that that's that that experience for some people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's such an awesome thing to to just the feeling of putting something out in the world that becomes an object, something yes. somebody can hold and keep, pass down to their kids, and like you know, things that can become generational. You know, whatever Instagram designers are creating right now or website, like that's not going to be there in ten years. That's yeah. good luck. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. I mean, we, we all saw what happened to Vine or whatever it was called. <laughs> was that a thing? <laughs> was that a thing? I don't know. I can't remember. Awesome. Um, Jackson, what was the very first print project you were ever a part of? 
That's a good question, and that's an that's a question that I know the answer to. When <clears throat> when I when I got my first job in the print and illustration world, mm-hmm. it was it was it was from a it was no lack of a better word. I got my first job from a hundred percent BS, me BSing, and at the time I was I was finishing up school. I went to I went to an, uh, a state art school in mm-hmm. Texas. Uh, basically, six years worthless of my life was art school, uh, but that's another <laughs> that's another conversation for another <laughs> podcast, or whatever. But I was finishing up school, and for somehow I had you know I had made contacts and met these two guys that own this boutique illustration studio, and I was just being a, an annoying kid, and you know, hey, can I come by and see you know see your place and see what's going on and that kind of stuff. And they're like, yeah, sure. And they were just being polite. Um, and I hung around with them and I was, I was polite enough that, that I didn't, you know, where I hope, I mean, I probably was starting to wear out my welcome, but, <laughs> but coincident happened and the opportunity kind of, uh, crossed my, me being there. And they, they were called by an ad agency, uh, that was doing, that at the time was doing like the big Christmas Coca-Cola campaign, uh, like the Christmas, the Santa Claus, the polar bears, the penguins, all that kind of jazz. And, and I was just sitting in there like on, like in the couch, like in their, like in their, it was a little kind of one, one room kind of studio. Mm-hmm. And they had, they had, no, they knew that I, had, they knew I had some artistic ability, that kind of thing, but I had no portfolio. I mean, basically, whatever uh and but somehow part when when the the ad agency was talking to them about this job with coca-cola it was a big job it was like it was like a three four month project four or five hundred thousand dollar job to like create like a multitude of packaging stuff for the whole christmas campaign Mm -hmm. and but one of the stipulations was that they had to apart with the 2d illustration stuff that they had to deliver they also had to deliver. They also had to be able to do stuff three dimensionally, like in three D. Okay. Uh, and I had, I had dabbled. I had dabbled in three D at the time. But when they looked at me and they said, "Do you know how to do three D?" I went, "Yeah, I know how to do three D." Yeah, bro, you don't. <laughs> yeah, bro, three D all day long, man. And I didn't know anything. Yeah. I didn't know anything about 3D. And they're like, good. And they were talking to this ad agency, like, yeah, we can do it. And they're like, what's the deadline for us to turn in, you know, like turn in the, the spec work or something like that? And they're like, you got three weeks. And, and so basically from that point, I left immediately yeah. and I went home and I probably, I didn't sleep basically at all for three Guys, weeks i'm just gonna go work on this in private okay yeah i'm gonna go, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go. and this was before youtube this was before this was basically before readily available tutorial videos this was me going to a bookstore getting those fat thick how-to books of like oh here's maya 3d the yeah. whatever oh, this 3D is like illustration for dummies That's- oh yeah it's like this was me this was just me like trying to figure it out on my own mm-hmm. and I didn't sleep for three weeks and you know one thing led to another and three weeks later somehow 
somehow I had been able to pull it off and we turned in a Coca-Cola polar bear in 3D, whatever. And they gave they gave they gave us the job. I don't know why they did, but they gave us the job. And that year, I mean that 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 year, my first my first actual job in in print was uh illustrating the Santa that was on the Coke can in 2006 and 2007 and the polar bears. What? And I was like, <laughs> let's go. Let's go. And that's and and that kind of led to, you know, from that point on, that little illustration boutique studio, even though they, you know, they folded and mm-hmm. I lost my job. While I was there, I mean, I basically got a main line of just like stellar work. But yeah. I mean, I worked my butt off. Like I designed, I did like like 300 Marvel comics and 350 Star Wars Galactic Hero toy packages and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, what? Let's go. Let's go. And I was like, I don't know how long this is going to last, but I'm going to do as much of it as I can while I'm, while they're paying me to do it. Yeah. No kidding. Oh my God. I can't believe your first ever like project that made it out in the print world was for Coke. Like what the heck is that? And my parents, my parents, they still have like all of like the cardboard, like the cardboard cutouts at the grocery store, they have like the English versions. They've got the Spanish versions. They've got like That's all awesome. the Coke cans. They have like the Coke cans on the mantle and all that kind of stuff. So you're saying your parents have like four or five different like six foot tall cutout Santas yeah, that you illustrated? Santas. Yeah, that I illustrated. Fantastic. That's amazing. Why don't you have those, Jackson? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Might not fit with the new decor, you know. Just yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's so awesome. That was my first. That was my first actual print job. Uh, in the real world, in the wild. Yeah. What an incredible project to be a part of. So before I get into and do a deep dive into this legal tender deck that we're going to dive into and talk about, Mm -hmm. um, have you ever been a part of a print project that went sideways, went off the rails, didn't turn out as you had hoped? Bro, I've been a part of a print project that's gone sideways like three times this month. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's what I was hoping you'd say. So tell me me about one of those, man. First of all, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about the most, like, I am a horrible speller. Okay. And I'm the only one designing this stuff. Sure, I should have people proofread stuff. Whatever. But like I have misspelled stuff on multiple playing card decks. Uh I mean, I I screwed up on one of my early decks was a Sherlock Holmes deck. And I had got a license from the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle estate to do a Sherlock Holmes deck. And and just simple enough, like it was a king of clubs. And on one of the corners, I put the K. And on the other corner, I forgot to turn a layer off or something like that. And it was a J instead of a K. And like that one, that one little letter cost me like $16,000 for me to reprint the whole thing. Uh, and, you know, I've, you know, I screw up all the time. And the <laughs> it's like, whatever, it's going to happen. And, uh, you know, I've, it, it, I stressed out a lot about, I stressed out about it a lot earlier in my career, Yeah, but I also made a lot more mistakes earlier in my career. But mm-hmm. now that it, b- b- mainly because it was just me early on in my career, but now I've got a, I've got a team of people and a crew of people that at least some more eyeballs are on the stuff, but, but heck we, we just released a deck. Um, you know, we just released a deck like a week ago mm-hmm. that it was like a, I have this whole line of playing cards that are basically inspired by, you know, we can talk about other things that inspire me, 
it's basically inspired by vintage tobacco cigarette packaging oh, from the fifties so and sixties. Cool. Yeah. And I've been doing this, I've been doing this uh, series of decks called the table player series, which every single one of them is just me, like me taking these old designs, putting them in a blender and bring them back out in the form of playing mm-hmm. cards. And I just released one that's basically a lucky strikes cigarette package. And instead of lucky strikes, it says Kings wild. And on the tongue of the playing card deck, I had this whole slogan that's on the aces and stuff like that. It's like strike once, strike true. And on the tongue, it says strike once, strike true. (laughs) (laughs) And the funny thing is, is like my customer service, my customer service girls, they were like emailing me. They were like, uh, uh, do you want to come up with a deeper meaning to this strike true thing? I was like, no. I just screwed up. <laughs> the funny thing is, is like now, like uh, because I've, I've because I've been doing this for for as long as I've been doing, it and I have this group of followers. The funny thing is, is these error decks that I do end up becoming the more valuable decks. I was just gonna say that's now a collector's item. Oh yeah, it's a collector's item. Yeah, because we'll end up if we reprint it, we'll correct it. But then now you'll have it's just like with people that collect like currency and money. Mm-hmm. Like the errored bills are the ones that are the most, at least that's what I keep telling myself, but don't tell, don't tell. No, no, that. 100%. They're way more valuable. Jackie. Wait, way more valuable. <laughs> yeah, way exactly. more valuable. Yep. Survey says way more valuable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the, fun, a- the funny thing is when I did that first one, that Sherlock Holmes, I totally screwed up. I finished the Kickstarter. And then two weeks later, I did another Kickstarter to reprint the deck that I screwed up. And then, Everybody bought twice as many of the reprint, but they had already bought the first one and they were like, well, we got both now. We got the aired one and the correct one. <laughs> That's awesome. So when like, that second I totally, that I totally did that on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. You see, guys, you just now you got the valuable limited edition. Yeah. Valuable <laughs> Uber limited edition sealed cellophane gold tear strip. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. So did you come out right and like say it in the second campaign? Like, this is the same one, but it's got it's corrected. Typos no, correct. Only what it was. It was like yeah, I totally screwed up on the first one. Uh, I'm really sorry. I was an idiot. I'm going to do another project to try to correct it uh, because I can't afford to do it because it was very early on. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, I'm going to do another Kickstarter project and I'm going to correct it. And instead of doing a Joker, I had usually the decks have two Jokers, but instead of doing a, instead of doing a two Jokers, I just did an extra card that was the corrected King that if they opened their deck, they could take that one card and put it in the other deck, and they would have two complete, two complete decks that were functional, yeah. and and then have this extra arid card that's now that people now trade by the card by itself. Wow, that's so cool! Yeah. <laughs> but at the time, I'm sure you were sweating like, oh, you're like if this second bro. one doesn't sell, like I'm on the hook for this. Like, I was like, I'm on the hook for this. This is. This is when I was talking about in the beginning, I'm going to do this till it breaks. This is when I was like, I guess this is going to break pretty soon. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Oh, Jackson, that's so cool, man. Okay, well, let's get into into the deep dive on this project. So um, you and your team sent over a bunch of pictures of this incredible project called the Legal Tender Deck. Is that correct? Yes. Awesome. So I'm looking at these pictures and they were sent over and I'm, I'm just trying to like, 
there's so much happening here and I'm so excited to talk about this. Um, right from like, if you're okay with it, like what did this cost? How many did you produce? Who were the vendors? Like, how did you request a quote for this? Like, yeah, like right from the beginning. So like, I'm going to pull it up on screen just so we can share it and talk about it at the same time here. Well, one of the uh, interesting thing about this project, uh, and I think it was, the, I think it was, there's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about it is because it's been through a big, it's been through a long journey about, I would say 2000, it was either 2015 or 2016. Mm-hmm. I had the idea for this deck and this was kind of like a, the, a follow-up deck to my other other money decks mm-hmm. that were more based on older currency. Yeah, And this one was, this project, Legal Tender, was more conceptually in the beginning in 2015, 2016, it was based on, okay, modern money with more modern uh, printing technologies like the holographic foils, the the watermarks, the security constellation codes, and that kind of stuff. And at the time in 2014 or 2015, when I had originally did the had the idea and I actually made the first edition of Legal Tender, I had these ideas of using like the holographic foil and all these other things. But at the time, with the manufacturers that I had at my disposal at the time, they didn't have the technical ability to do the things that I wanted to do in terms of like the you know the CMYK printing on top of the the foil the laminated foil and all this kind of stuff they just couldn't do it yeah. and the project it was a Kickstarter and it was it was kind of like a it was a big letdown to a lot of people uh, because I had originally kind of sold this idea of like I'm going to do this great deck and it's going to have holographic foil and it's going to have these you know security features blah 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 because I was wanting to like mimic modern currency. Mm-hmm. And it really was a letdown. And it was it and and critically, it was one of my more unsuccessful, more negatively responded to decks because of that kind of big letdown. Yep. Fast forward two or three years, and the playing card world, you know, and I know that the technology has been out there for a long time, but it hadn't really made its way towards playing cards yet. Yep. In the sense that it's kind of like you're at cake and eat it too to have these really cool technical abilities of like printing all these kind of crazy uh, technical things like foil and foil lamination and printing on top of it. But at the same time, being able to like put coating on top of it to where it still is a nice deck of cards mm-hmm. that fans in your fingers, that shuffles nice. And at the time it just wasn't really, uh, when I, when I originally had this idea, it just wasn't possible. And then fast forward two or three years, I had worked with that same printer that printed that first one for me. And then we had we'd been working on developing these different you know uh, techniques and working with these different factories and and developing these print processes, and we got to a point where we could do it. And I was like, let's do legal tender again the way that it was originally supposed to be, mm-hmm. with with all of the holographic foil, uh, the foil lamination, all that kind of stuff. And we did it. And and the project that was probably one of my biggest busts in 2015 2016 ended up becoming the deck that has been our most successful selling deck yet just because of, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's really, it's really a, it's really a kind of a weird deck. And I, and I don't want to use this word kind of flippantly, but it's like a, it's a very magical deck. Even if like you, if you flip through these pictures, like just way, just way that the holographic foil, uh, because the process that we use, like in this one, like here, right, right here with Grant, yeah. like 
What we couldn't do at the time when I originally did it, at the time, the processes that we had at our disposable was basically like hot stamp foil. So we would have to get a plate made of each design and hot stamp the foil. But through time and and with my art style of like the really tiny line work and the engraving, there's no way you're going to get- doesn't work with hot foil. You're you're not going to get a foil hot stamp plate. uh, And at the same time, get a hot stamp plate and foiled that it's not going to leave this huge bruising debossing on the paper. That's not going to like affect how it feels. Totally. But what, what we ended up working with was we took the sheet of paper and we completely laminated the entire piece of paper with holographic foil. Okay. And then, and then we printed a opaque, opaque layer of white ink on the top of it for the sections that we wanted to have that kind of matte finish where we didn't want the whole, the holographic foil to come through. Mm-hmm. And then after we put the opaque white layer, then we printed the CMYK on top of that. And so it was basically like, it was like it opened up this completely different approach to doing foiling in a way that I basically could get the same resolution of detail that I did with my CMYK printing that I could with foil if I did it right when I would would use this opaque white layer uh, in the beginning to like mat everything out. And then that's kind of what, what you see uh, you know, what you see that ter- ended up turning out. And since then, I, you know, there's really nobody else that's really doing this right now in, in playing card world. And a lot of my decks now kind of use this kind of t- this, this, uh, this kind of like this process uh, to create uh, this kind of this, this weird kind of magical ethereal look, which I think is, I mean, for me, at least it gives me a, you know, an edge, but somebody's going to come along and do it, but I don't care, whatever. Mm-hmm. So when you're, when you're creating these decks, like, is playing cards, I've always wondered this, is playing cards themselves, like, is it a special, specific stock that's exclusively for playing cards? Yeah, I mean, it definitely, it's it's like this, it's like this kind of balance that you have to play because me as an artist, I need a paper, I need a, I need a, a paper stock that is going to, is going to take the ink really well, yeah. is going to take, is going to take the detail of my line work really well, mm-hmm. but at the same time, uh, is going to be able to be finished on the top of with finishes that it's going to allow it to be a really nice deck of cards. It's going to fan really well. Yeah. It's going to feel well, and, and it's going to be able to shuffle. Uh, and that's kind of so. It's like this balance that you have to play. So there is definitely a specific card stock. Like I, I use the same kind of card stock on every deck that I do because we found a, we found a specific type of paper. It's the right thickness that when you put the foil lamination on top, that it holds the ink well, that holds the finish, and that it also is about the same size as a regular deck of playing cards. Yeah. That's beautiful. So let's just kind of go through some of these pictures and talk about like what what do we got going on here? So in this particular one, we're looking at this is the right, this is the stock that you use with the holographic um, laminate mm-hmm. over top of the whole thing. Yep. Then you've got an opaque white sort of reversing out the areas that you want to remain holographic. Correct. And so when I'm looking at this, am I seeing like holographic outlines up here? We've got this background yep. handwritten text is holographic. Yeah. The background is the, uh, the declaration of independence uh, awesome. in the background. And so anything that you see, anything that you see holographic is basically where I have, you know, I do all the artwork first and then I go back and then I do in a completely different a different set of artwork that I, that's the opaque white layer because it's not so much of an easy, it's not as easy as taking my layers of art and then, you know, control all and then filling them in white. 
because mm-hmm. there's certain areas that I want to be opaque and there's some certain areas that I don't want to be opaque. Yeah. And then there's certain areas that I want the foil to show through, but at the same time, I want to be able to print color on top of it to give the foil like a different colored theme. Like I did another deck where there's like a gold gold foil as a base, but then I print like different oranges and browns and other things to give it like, oh, this is brass. Oh, this is copper. This is bronze. This is gold. But I'm all I'm using that base layer on top. So it's basically just like creating this secondary layer of art underneath to like to like really enhance the this the the level of the detail and the what I want to be holographic foil. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so in this one, same kind of thing. Like all this the declaration of independence in the background here. This mm-hmm. is uh and then just print on top of print on top of white on top of foil. Yeah, and you can see there where like the 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 monument, the the cliffside has a brighter value because in those areas I've I've toned down the opacity of the white white layer so that the granite the granite or the rock kind of gives it that kind of lighter value. I'm not printing any more white on it. I'm just letting more of the I'm letting more of the holographic foil shine through so it, it gives yeah. it this kind of appearance of a lighter value as opposed to the darker value of the background where it's all opaque white except yeah. for the writing. Wow. It's incredible. And I can like like for the the first one, the first deck that I did that was kind of the flop, like that eagle, the eagle in the background in this picture, and then that J in the top right, and then those yeah. little pinstripes of hollow foil, all that was just in the first one, I just did like a CMYK print color of holographic foil. You yeah. know, and it was just lame and it didn't work out. It because because it didn't have that, it didn't have that, it didn't have that punch that you get with the light reflecting off of it. Just like yep. when you're when you're painting on your computer monitor, everything looks real good because it's backlit with LED lights, you know, yes. and it's never going to come out that way on a piece of paper. But Dude, that's like the conversation I have most with designers, you know, when when they're designing, you know, on screen. This is like, look, look at it, and now I'm printing it on uncoated paper in CMYK, and I'm like, this doesn't look, look the same. This green looks. Look how good this green looks on my paper. I mean, on yeah. my screen. Oh, look how it looks when you print it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's a full education thing. And, you know, yeah. the other big kick I'm on right now was talking to, to designers about branding. You know, when you're putting your brand guidelines together for a rebrand that you've just done, like you need to include your uncoated CMYK, your uncoated Pantones, yeah. your coated CMYK, your coated Pantones, hex, RGB. Like you got to include everything in there because you don't know how this is going to be used. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's for sure. Crazy. So on this one here, same kind of thing. We've got the holographic foil yep. coming through, like in just super tight illustration and yep. lines. And I and I just want to repeat, like the crazy thing about this is the entire surface of the card, both front and back, is completely laminated with foil. Yep. And we just we just print on top of that. Yeah. So you're just killing the foil look. Mm-hmm. In, with opaque white in certain areas and yep. letting it come through in others and others is kind of a balance in between. Yep. And when you, and when you get that, when you get that really stark contrast between the mat, the mat areas that aren't foil or that appear not to be foil and the yep. foil, it gives that appearance like, wow, that is the most detailed hot foil stamping that I've ever seen kind of a thing. Yeah. And that's yep. what we're not going to tell anybody, right? We're not going to tell anybody, Dave, that it's not hot foil stamping. <laughs> No, no, guys, this is a hot foil. You no, just got to find the right guys. Hot foil. It's all the right vendor. 
<laughs> That's incredible, man. Okay, so what, like, how many of these do you produce when you go to print with something like this and you're launching it out there? How many are you generally printing? We, when we did the first print run of this deck, with this new version with the holograph, we released it last year, uh, in July 4th. And at the time, we printed, uh, I think we printed 5,000 decks that mm -hmm. time. Uh, we sold out of those in a few months and then we ended up reprinting them uh, and we printed 10,000 decks for the reprint. And uh, in the, interestingly enough, like the process, the process that we were using was still so new between the first print run and the second print run because I had, because I didn't, because it was like not really feasible for me to get like prototypes made and like samples mm -hmm. because it was just, it was, I might as well just do a print run if we're going to do it. So it's, it was, it was so expensive that I was like, basically, uh, and at the same time, I'm not working for a client. So it's all on me. And yeah. so if it screws up, it's, it's my, it's my gig, you know? Yeah. And so the first print run, we hadn't really, we hadn't really like, really like honed in on how the opaque white layer worked the best. Mm -hmm. And the first print run I did the whole card was kind of like had this holographic sheen and it wasn't quite working right. And I got the deck, I got the 5,000 decks. We, we sold through them and I was like, you know what? I'm going to tweak this even more. And I tweaked the design and we reprinted it and we printed 10,000 this next one. Mm -hmm. And, and it was like, it was that second version. It was actually a third version because the, if you count the one that was like in 2015, mm -hmm. it wasn't until that third version. That's what you see in front of you. Yeah. that it was like, this is, this is where, this is what the idea looked like in my head, you know, in 2015. And, uh, we printed 10,000 the first run and we just, we've, we've sold out of those and we just got another print run of 10,000 delivered like last week. Yeah. Uh, and it's been. And it's been our it's been our best selling deck, you know, in in the history of our company, uh, and and the decks that are like it that are doing these types of things that a lot of the other decks of playing cards aren't doing, mm -hmm. those decks are starting to rise to the top and becoming our best sellers, just because it's like it's just this extra depth, and at the yeah. same time, like I'm totally I'm totally the guy that does I I call it feature creeping. I don't want to feature creep when it comes to like. Because to me, foil is feature creeping, and I don't want to use foil unless I I need to, unless the and unless the design, uh, unless the unless the design calls for it. Because for me, and I think this is I think this is good for anybody, especially new artists and new designers. Mm -hmm. If you are building your portfolio and your professional career on feature creeping, like like hoping that these cool techniques and technologies are what gonna are what going to sell you as an artist or a designer, you're not going to last very long. And so, and, and that's why I'm like, okay with like talking about the process because I don't care if people copy it, like copy the actual technical process because probably people are going to do it. And it was around when I was, before I was figuring it out. And that's why, I, that's why I try to make the art and the craftsmanship and that story that I'm telling the mm -hmm. main thing. And that's what goes above you know, this cool printing process or whatever. And that's, what's going to allow me to not worry about feature creeping and not worrying about somebody stealing my, you know, my idea that of this cool process. And, and I want it, I want my art to be what holds, you know, I want my, I want my art to be times new Roman so that in mm -hmm. hundred years, people still like it. 
Yeah. Not to be papyrus, but however, <laughs> I am going to make a papyrus deck just as a joke. <laughs> as you should. Absolutely. I should. <laughs> Quickly followed by the Comic Sans deck. Yes. Comics. Well, I've already, I've already done Comic Sans. I did a crayon deck with my daughters. That they, I printed out the cards and they colored all the, the, the court cards and we totally used the Comic Sans and it was, it was awesome. That's awesome. You know, something about Comic Sans I didn't know about, just a little bit off topic, but I found out during a couple of, a couple of interviews ago that Comic Sans is actually the most legible font for dyslexic people. I can imagine that. I, can I, had, imagine. I had no sure. idea. I was like, that's incredible. It's like, so all these people out there bashing Comic Sans, it's like, yeah. just, yep. just incredible. I can, totally, I can totally see that. So this deck, is there also embossing going on on the outside yep, box? There is. There's embossing on the box, and the box itself was printed the same way that the cards were. We mm-hmm. took the same kind of substrate and laminated it with foil, and then printed the opaque white, and then printed the ink on top. Uh, so it's got embossing and it's got foiling, um, yeah, and the CMYK. I don't, I don't really, I, I'll use spot colors here and there, but most of my stuff is, most of my stuff is illustrated in Photoshop and printed CMYK, just because my own art style is, is, is such that, you know, it doesn't lend itself very well to spot colors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. And are you using local vendors primarily for this stuff? You're not dealing anything overseas. I am doing, I'm doing a lot of stuff overseas. The, the, the sad truth is nobody in the United States can do this stuff that I've been able to find. Uh, I Amazing. print, I print a lot of stuff with the United States playing card company. Mm-hmm. Like I'm doing more of a, I call them technically light decks of cards where it's basically straight up, you know, straight up spot color printing or straight up CMYK, you know, CMYK printing with like, you know, kind of like basic stuff like embossing, foiling and stuff like that on the box. I can do all that stuff in the United States, uh, no problem. And it's, and it's not cost cost prohibitive, Mm -hmm. but if I'm doing stuff like this, like this crazy experimental stuff, uh, for me, it's experimental. And for the playing called world is experimental. You know, I, I have to do a lot of this type of stuff overseas. With that said, I've developed a great relationship with a, a company in, in New York City called the Expert Playing Card Company mm-hmm. that basically all of my decks now with this kind of like these new processes, uh, it's just I've built a great relationship with them. And, you know, we print these decks overseas uh, and and I work with them out of New York and it's been a, it's been great. And it's kind of a thing of like, and I know that it can be kind of like whatever the political climate is, whatever. Like for me, it's ultimately, I've got this idea in my head and I don't care who prints it. I just want to be able to get what I have in my head out into into somebody's palm of my hand the way I want it to be. Who can and execute gonna, it the best right yeah. now. And I'm going to do it however, I'm going to do it who, with whoever I can yeah. and that I can continue to continue my business and not go broke and still make a really great product. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's a beautiful project for sure. Um, so vendor sorted out, quantity sorted out, chatted about that, talked about specialty finishing. Um, mm-hmm. When you're proofing something as intricate and as detailed as this, are you just looking at PDF proofs on screen? Are you um, like getting hard copy proofs with different layers that you're going through, or how are you proofing these? Oh, that's a good. This is probably this is probably not going to look good, but I I. I have so many, I how to say this. I have never gotten a hard proof ever in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what it is. I, cause I know that, I know that the hard proof is not going to be anything like the final product. 
because yeah. I know they're, how they're making the hard proofs. Yeah. And usually what, and usually the stuff that I'm doing, like even like this deck of cards, like how are you going to get a hard proof of this tuck case? You're not going to get a hard proof. I mean, were they going to print on an Epson, you know, inkjet? <laughs> yeah. You know? It's going to look nothing like it. Yes, it's it's going to look nothing like, it's going to look nothing like it. And so yeah. I have, I have more relied on my experience with printing and with, and physical printing uh, to where I don't ever get a hard proof. And I just, in terms of proofing, I just, I just, I really, I find the vendors that I work with and that I work well with, like mm -hmm. I, a place in San Diego, a San Diego does a lot of my tuck cases, like my letterpress work. And then the place in New York does all this kind of crazy foiled stuff. Like I work with them. I know, I know what to expect in terms of final product. And I know that just doing enough jobs between those people that I know that these things that I'm giving them is going to give me this. So the, just the experience is is much better in terms of a, in terms of a hard proof. And so I just, I never get a hard proof. That doesn't mean that I, I should probably proofread things more. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine because you're totally right that, you know, when you're getting something, especially if it's CMYK and on with crazy effects and yeah. stocks like this, like the hard copy proof, all the most it's going to show you is the, is how the different layers are. Yeah. Making sure that the content is correct on each layer or with each process, right? That's sort of the most you're going to get to see, but you can see that PDF. Yeah. Like we're doing, like I'm working on a project right now for a, a, a fantasy novel called mm -hmm. Mistborn. And, and like, it's probably going to be the first time that I've ever even like gotten like a prototype deck. And, and it's more of just, I'm just at a point now in my business where I can, I can afford kind of doing that to where I'm just going to do, it's not even really a prototype run. I'm just going to do it like a print run of a thousand of mm -hmm. the final product just so that I can have to have take actual pictures of and actual photographs and video of because it's very similar to this deck where you have all this crazy weird stuff and I'm not going to be able to sell as many unless I'm taking an actual photograph of all this yes. crazy, ridiculous stuff because I could make a three dimension, you know, I can do a 3D conceptual rendering of it but I'm always going to have that asterisk at the bottom. This is a three-dimensional concept. Conceptual yeah. final product. Yeah. For and, certain things, and you know, it's like anytime you're you're trying to describe a, a certain paper to someone or a certain oh, finish yeah. to somebody, you're not going to describe it like verbally without anything visual. Like, how do you do that? Yeah. You got it. You need something proper and visual to really show it and to really sell it. So that's yeah. where that's going to be really powerful. Mm -hmm. So when you're designing a deck like this, I mean, I know you did that, that sample run back in 2015 that didn't go great. Um, when you're ready to rock with this and on the first run uh, with the holographic foil, like how long does that take from here's the idea, let's refine these files to holding a finished deck in your hand? Um, I am so, I am so easily distracted by shiny things that, that I have learned in my life that if I can't finish a project, and this is just more like the actual art creation, the content creation of the project. Mm -hmm. Like if I can't finish a project in two or three weeks, I really shouldn't even start on it because by the time the two or three weeks is up, I'm going to see something shiny over here and I'm going to want to go over there and, and I'm going to lose all inspiration. Yeah. And it's going to end up, I'm end up going to, I'm going to end up phoning in the, the last half of that project or whatever. And so, but in terms of like production time, uh, let's say pre COVID pre COVID production times, let's, I mean, whatever, let's talk about that pre production, pre COVID production times, like 
whether I was printing in the United States or whether I was printing overseas, like, you know, from turning in my proofs and approving, you know, approving artwork and approving proofs with the, 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 the manufacturers, like I could probably, probably bet on like four to eight weeks of production time of like Mm -hmm. proofs approved contract signed. Oh, here's the FedEx delivery truck bringing me decks of cards. Yep. But now with like, uh, post COVID stuff, especially in the United States, like, like, you're you're gonna be lucky. I'm gonna be lucky if I turn in if I turn in artwork and approve proofs that 16 to 18 weeks later I get a deck of playing cards. It's crazy. It is. And with my the way that my business works, in the sense that I have a playing card subscription where I've got to design a new deck of cards every month. And you gotta get and, so far in front of it. And deliver it. So, and I'm not really that far in front of it. Like I may be three or four months ahead. And I was really far ahead of it pre-COVID and then COVID hit and then it just like and it just messed it all up. Yeah. And I'm just now kind of catching up to like getting in front of it again. Uh, like I just like even printing like in the States was like I can't produce a deck every month and production times being 16 to 18 weeks. Now, production times with, you know, overseas may still be four to, you know, six to eight weeks, but it's just kind of like one of those things of like, you know, do I take this poison or do I take this poison? Let's just let's just choose the 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 one that's less, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And it's just trying to figure out how to kind of cope with that. Um, and un- unfortunately, and that just that just leads to a whole bunch of other stuff of like, you know, shipping costs and freight and sea freight and all that kind of stuff has, you know, skyrocketed because the whole world is different now. Yeah, and everything costs more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything costs more, hundred yep. percent. Yeah, it's been a real weird last year and a bit to to navigate on the print side of things. You know, being in it daily, and to the point where you know you're you're struggling over board supply. Like, oh, people yeah. aren't board suppliers and mills are sort of manufacturing for their own little home base yep. and export. It's harder to get paperboard exported now. Yeah, so, like we were. I mean, this is probably November of last year. Uh, it was the paper stock that this deck of cards is pl- is printed on. Like mm-hmm. the the factory in you know Belgium was like because of COVID was like going out of business, and they were the only people that made this paper that we had found so much success with. Success yeah. with, blech. and we were like, well, crap. What are we gonna do? And so we like bought, we bought like the the remaining stock, like a container full of this paper stock, and had it shipped to our factory where we're doing the printing just like, you know, Oh, we were like, okay, we print 10, 15,000 decks a month. You know, this is going to last us maybe till April, March, but luckily enough, we've been able to find a, a newer, thinner paper stock. That's actually better for what we need. But at the time it was a, it was a real thing. And I had never yeah. experienced that before. And just even last month, like I was using like a, a simple Mohawk key color fairway green paper. Uh, just like a readily available key color paper that Mohawk makes. I mean, they used to make it by the truckloads. Yep. And and I had to like I had to like cut my production in half just because we couldn't get the just this basic paper, and we had to wait yep. we had to wait four months to get the paper in. Crazy. When before yep. it was like, oh yeah, here's all the key color paper you want <laughs> or whatever kind of a thing. Yeah, it's a strange world, man. 
Yeah. That's awesome. Like getting the insight onto how something as intricate and as wild as this was created has been amazing. So thank you so much for sharing that, Jackson. Yeah. Um, I wanted to wrap this up with one final question here. Um, and it's sort of a, you know, you've, you've been on this journey for a while. So I, I'm really excited to see your answer for this. But what advice would you give a designer or an illustrator that is brand new to print, hasn't done any print before, they want to get into it? Um, where do they start? What would you suggest that they, where they start? Uh, that's a good, a good question. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer this question with a short story, or at least I'm going to try to be a short story. <laughs> In my six years of worthless university art school, um, mm -hmm. the during that worthless six years of my life, I probably learned the single most important lesson I have ever learned mm -hmm. for my professional career as an artist. I was in a pottery class. Nice. And, and I was like a sophomore, you know, I was doing the thing. I was taking design one, design two, drawing one, drawing two. I had to have my elective. Well, we're going to do pottery, blah, blah, blah. Let's do it. So I go to this pottery class and we sit there. It's the first day of class, and the, the, the instructor sits down at a pottery wheel, and he throws a pottery – just a, a basic vase, nothing special, just a vase. And he was like – he looked at the entire class, and he said, uh, your final grade for this semester, you will have one grade, and I'm going to split you guys up into two groups, and group A and group B. And at the end of the, end of the semester, here's how I'm going to grade you. Group A – you are going to get your entire semester's grade on one vase that your entire group turns in. And I want it to look exactly like this vase mm -hmm. and you'll get one grade for one vase. And then group B, he says, group B, you will get graded on the number of vases that you turn in. They don't have to look oh. like this vase. They don't have to look like this vase. They don't have to be perfect like this vase but your grade is going to come from the number of vases that you turn in. And so we go about our direction. We start going through all the different stuff and both, both, both uh, groups are doing their thing. They're making vases group a, the one that was going to turn in one vase was like, was like, like pouring over the details. I'm like, I got to get this curve. I got to get this curve of the vase just right. Mm-hmm. I got to get the top just right. I got to make sure that the calipers, it's the exact same width of the, his vase. <clears throat> and they were, and, and that group was like pouring over all these details and yeah. they were, they were learning and they were getting better because they had, they had been taught the skills to make the vase. And then the other group, we, you know, that group was just like, <laughs> just, just cranking like, throwing, throwing mud, like slinging, like making pinch pots and making like little pitchers and making stuff that looks like junk over yeah. and over and over again. So fast forward by the end of the semester and the, the day comes, we have to turn in, both groups have to turn in their vases and group a, the one vase, they put their vase on the table and it looks real good. It looks real good. And, and the, 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 uh, professor's like, this looks really good. This is a really nice face. You guys get a, you know, you guys get an A whatever, or B, B plus or whatever. Yeah. But it wasn't, it wasn't quite, it wasn't as good as the professor's face. And then group B, my group, I was in group B. I was in the group that we were getting graded on the amount of vases that we turned in. Okay. We had probably 15 shelves of vases 
And oh yeah, the original, the first vase, the first couple of shelves look like dog food. <laughs> By the time you got to the last two or three vases, every we had hundreds of vases that every single one of them looked exactly like and perfectly matched the professor's one vase that was perfect. Mm-hmm. Well, perfect for what he gave us as a standard. Yeah. And it was that one, it was that one lesson and that kind of one uh, kind of moral that I learned from that story that I have taken on to all of my work. And, and I say that in my own work, like I have so many ideas and my number one goal is, yes, I'm going to screw up. I'm going to make some dog junk work a lot and I'm going to keep doing it and I'm going to keep failing and I'm going to keep making crappy stuff. But if you, you got to look at it like, you know, you're like you're investing in mutual funds. Like if, as if the more stuff that I do, the more, the more work that I produce and the more ideas that I execute and the more ideas mm-hmm. that I get from my brain and onto a piece of paper, onto a box, incrementally, I'm going to get better and better and better by the time compared to somebody else, like a competitor that is doing that thing where I got to get this curve perfect, or I got to get this thing perfect. Yes, they're going to get better but they're going to not produce as much stuff so that they will get better. But there will come a time where I'm investing over time and my crappy days where I'm totally failing is miles past this other person's best day just because I've produced so much stuff and Mm -hmm. and churned through so many ideas. And if I would say, if I would say anything to a new designer or a new artist, the seeking perfection is the killer Mm-hmm. of anything creative and your focus your focus should just be to churn out as many ideas as possible whether they are crappy good or the best idea lightning in a bottle you're you're you should just be trying to trying to trying to take what's in your brain and 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 facilitating it onto a box a piece of paper or something and make it a realistic thing as much as you can because that's what's going to make you your crappy days you're going to be miles ahead of the other guy's best day. I don't know if that's was that. Yeah, a hundred percent. I love that. I love that story that goes along with that. A hundred percent. I completely agree. And I remember that guy. He was wearing a. He was red. He was wearing those red and black lumberjack shirts. I remember yeah. when he was throwing that first vase. I remember like that ugly yellow Lego box. Yep. <laughs> Just do it. Do it because. Yeah. You're going to get better over time. Oh yeah. It's like the, like the, you know, your, your first book that you write, your first, um, you know, logo that you design the first print that you do. Yeah. It's going to suck. The first podcast you do. Yeah. It's going to suck. Yeah. Get it out of, get it out of the way. Yeah. Let's go. Get her done. Giddy up. Gotta, I would always, I would always, I would always call what I would, you got to get through the suck, you know, yeah. and you have to get to a point to where you like the suck because you have to, you have to equate the suck with you know achievement and getting better and like if you're not going through the suck you're not getting any better and you're not you're not becoming you're not you're not you're not propelling yourself forward and so like i've gotten to a point where i love the suck and mm-hmm. i know that if things are if things are hard and if things are like screwing up it, it at least means that i'm moving forward and i'm doing something and i'm creating something yep you win or you learn yeah, you win or you, you win or you learn. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Jackson, this has been incredible, man. I yeah. want to be cognizant of your time here. And uh, let's wrap this up. Thank you so much for being my guest today and diving into this stuff. The work you guys are putting out is incredible. Where can people find more about the subscription, find more about you, and get their hands on some of these decks? Yeah, you can uh, You can visit our website at kingswildproject.com. 
We're on Instagram at, you know, Kings Wild Project. And also, uh, you know, if you want to, you know, see a bit more of a behind the scenes type of thing, uh, every morning at 5.30 a.m. Eastern time, I do a thing called Dawn's Early Light where that's where I work. I go on YouTube and I cast my work live from about five o'clock in the morning until about nine o'clock. And that's me just working, doing my thing. Awesome. Yeah. That's why your camera's so good. You're set up for that live stream. Yeah. Every, every morning, bro. Every morning. <laughs> Dawn's early light. <laughs> that's wicked. Thanks so much. Man. I, got, Everybody. I, got another, I got another view. Boom. There we go. <laughs> oh man. Look at that little, the little board where you just hit the button and switch her up. Bro, not messing around here. Yeah, no, we're, we're serious, man. We're serious. That's awesome. Jackson, just hang on the line here, bud. All right, man. Thank you. That is the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening in. I highly encourage you to go check out the King's Wild Project and the incredible playing card decks that Jackson is putting together over there. The links to find them are in the description here. Also, just check them out on Instagram. We'll be sharing the podcast artwork and linking to them over on our Instagram or just in the description of this episode of your podcast, there will be a link there on where you can go find these incredible playing card decks and sign up for that King's Wild subscription, getting a new playing card deck every single month with incredible print techniques. It's just a wicked collector's item. Plus sharing that, like pulling that out when Poker Night gets back under, you know, back, back and going. Awesome. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next week.